Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending July 29th, 2023. This week, Comcast does great. Peacock, not so much. Not so much. We're going to be polite about it. (laughs) I'm Kim Hollis, digital advertising guru and someone who no longer wants to swim in any pool in Las Vegas. Oh, no. What have I missed? Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn, apparently. (laughs) With me are Tim Bridey, content creator and gamer, traded for a podcaster to be named later. They already have a name, though. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Marlins, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) Also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride, streaming media analyst, and a recent fan of Female Trees. Wait, it's just the bell trees that are causing me to sneeze? Why was I not told this? Yep. And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who's just given up. Nothing makes sense anymore, guys. I just want to hibernate and wake up to see where we are in two years. This business in Hollywood, it's just nonsense at this point. When Raul wakes up in two years, it'll be AI versus the aliens. (laughs) (laughs) What side will Apple be on? Whichever one makes them more money. (laughs) (laughs) in our rapid fire it's earnings season again and wall street and the studios seem to be suffering collective amnesia as no one wants to talk about the impact of the double strikes in hollywood even terrible streaming news doesn't seem to phase investors raul peacock lost 650 million dollars last quarter 650 million dollars in three months people with no signs of the bleeding coming to an end anytime soon and yet comcast the owners of peacock and wall street just shrugged it off over the course of a year, that would be a pace of $2.6 billion, but Comcast went ahead and told us, thank you, I guess, that it will lose $3 billion for the fiscal year, which is, what? I mean, roll at least subscriber numbers are up. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Peacock had a bump in uh, subscriber numbers, although there's probably a lot of correlation with the fact that that was also the quarter where they essentially cut the spigot off for Comcast subscribers. The Comcast subscribers who were getting Peacock for free had to sign up and pay for it. And evidently some of them did, although I will also point out that a number of Comcast subscribers continue to get it for free. That is their broadband subscribers. So that includes me. So there is still arguably an untapped number of Peacock potential subscribers out there. Their ARPU, their average revenue per user, is not bad. And at the number of subscribers they have now, you'd think they have like 24 million subscribers. You'd think they'd be making money at some point. How are they losing so much money? How much are they spending on original content? Where is the money going? Yeah, streaming is a math problem. I'm going to go ahead and spell this out for you so that we can be clear on the terms we're using when we say that. Peacock had 20 22 million subscribers coming into the quarter. Because of the reasons Raul mentioned, it went up to 24 million. That's 2 million more. More importantly, you know, that's pretty healthy 8% growth. Here's the staggering thing. Revenue in the quarter rose 85% to 820 million. It is making 85% more year over year. And yet, Last year, at the same time in the quarter, they lost $444 million. This year, when they're making 85% more, they lost $651 million, which is $207 million more in the quarter 
year over year, which means the gap is expanding, not shrinking for a service with more customers and a solid ARPU. Disney wishes it had an ARPU of $11. What? is happening with their behind-the-scenes turmoil where they are producing shows they cannot afford. That's the math problem we're trying to solve here because with linear television and with movies, you could find a way to monetize all of these in a way where you are making a profit overall in the big picture. Peacock isn't even close to that, and every time it adds more subscribers, and let's be clear, it still doesn't have anywhere near as many as it should. I would argue it isn't even at one-third of what it should be in terms of subscribers. But when it adds more, it loses more. What? Yeah, at this point, you'd think maybe they'd want to drop some subscribers to see if maybe that helped increase their revenues. I mean, that is legitimately what Disney Plus is doing right now as a strategy. They have told the Star India customers, the Hot Star customers, we don't need you. We were only making 59 cents off of you per month. We don't need the aggravation. That's what Disney has done. Comcast keeps doubling down on this. Peacock has good original content and they bring to the platform after only 30 days often original movies that were in theaters. You would think there'd be considerable appeal there and yet they cannot grow that subscriber base. And at the same time, they also have these distribution deals with the WWE and Hallmark. You wonder if maybe they overpaid for that? Is that maybe where all the money is going? Because they're not making that many original shows. I don't see how we can blame the WWE for this because two things. First of all, we know that actually drove about 1 million subscribers to join Peacock and they need that. I mean, that is, you know, almost 5% of the people they have subscribing are because they're professional wrestling fans. That deal is worth a billion dollars over five years, which means it is 200 million per year, which means it's 50 million a quarter. That doesn't seem like something that should be losing them money. And I realize in combination with other statements we're making, maybe it is. I don't know. But if they're actually gaining subscribers out of this and they're only paying $50 million a quarter, that seems like it's paying for itself. We never actually got Hallmark numbers, at least not if I saw. If one of our readers wants to send me a link or something, we'll be happy to do a deep dive on it. But I did not see that. I have to think it's the same situation where they had an idea they'll appeal to wrestling fans that's probably a largely mutually exclusive demographic from Hallmark. Hallmark fans. These are smart moves in and of themselves. In totality, Peacock's financials do not add up and it is driving me crazy trying to crack the formula. Yeah, I don't know if they're like hiding numbers somewhere. I I wonder. I wonder maybe if they're burying some of the expenses for like broadcasts like the Olympics onto the Peacock balance sheet. It takes a lot of money to produce something like the Olympics. And then, of course, we know now that all Olympic coverage will be available live in real time on Peacock. So has some accountant at NBCU decided, well, all of this content is going to be showing up on Peacock. So I guess that's where all the numbers should land. No, not NBC Sports. No, this is a Peacock project now. And that's where all the expenses are going. Maybe that's it. I don't know. And again, that is blind speculation on our part. We are not saying that is in any way factually accurate. You just, you have to start wondering when this keeps happening across companies where they'll add more subscribers and then their losses increase in a business that has historically been extremely profitable. I mean, that's the reason we have seen the explosive growth of Comcast, which was a cable service first and foremost. And we've seen the growth of Disney, which made a staggering percentage of its revenue from its linear networks. The math 
that here worked when it was in one medium, linear television. It is not checking the same with streaming. And that's when the red flags start going off everywhere, where when you start following the money, it just doesn't add up. And I hate when things don't add up. Yeah, this is something that I went off on last week. We know that linear viewing is declining and it's declining precipitously. Comcast mentions their TV subscribers in their quarterly reports and the numbers are dropping like a rock and and no one bats an eye. Nobody cares anymore because Comcast is not a TV company anymore. They're a broadband company. And yet the revenue comes from that TV side of the house and you are not making that money back off of streaming. In fact, streaming is only losing you even more money. So how are you supposed to make that up? I don't know. But because Comcast is such a big company with so many different divisions, the fact that one of their divisions barely gets talked about and is a big money loser doesn't really matter. You wish Disney had that problem. Yet when they have their quarterly earnings that anyone ever wants to talk about was Disney+. Plus. You look at a company like Apple or Amazon, streaming doesn't even come up in their quarterly calls, which is probably a good thing because those things are probably just as much a money loser as peacock is yeah just to be clear what we're talking about with comcast is about 30 billion in fiscal revenue in a single quarter 30 billion so you can imagine how hard it is to impact the bottom line something actually did that this quarter because of just a calendar trick the super barrio brothers movie came out four days into the quarter and it basically finished its theatrical release at the end of june when the quarter ended so what we're seeing with comcast isn't raising any bigger flags because mario made everything else look good And that wasn't just in movies. They also recently opened Super Nintendo World at Universal Studios Hollywood. Not coincidentally, Universal Studios division, that was the most profitable it has ever been in one of the most important ways you measure revenue. So Mario basically saved this quarter for Comcast, and that's not even a joke. Um, Roku had their quarterly earnings call this week and actually beat estimates and Wall Street for a change actually rewarded them. Their forecasted numbers are up. Their stock price went up. So good for Roku. But ultimately, what's happening is that Wall Street is not asking the hard questions to the companies that are having their quarterly earnings calls. It didn't happen with Comcast. It's not going to happen with other studios like Warner Bros. Discovery that's got their quarterly earnings call coming up this week. No one is asking about the long term consequences of the writers and actors strikes that are happening right now in Hollywood. And yet we all know exactly what's going to happen in about three to four months. These studios will have no more original content to put on TV for their broadcast channels or in theaters. And that's going to start really eating into this right now, what everybody is ignoring the the revenues. This is going to start killing them. And yet none of the analysts are asking the hard questions. Yet what we hear when people are interviewing analysts outside of these quarterly earnings calls is everybody seems to think, yeah, this is bad. This is this is really bad. And it's about to get a lot worse. It's time to ask the hard questions. And it's time, honestly, for the studios to bite the bullet and make a deal that is truly fair to the writers and actors. Enough with the platitudes where they keep promising that they want to make a fair deal. Make a fair deal, people. You're about to collapse. Do something. But you know what? I don't want to talk about any of this. I want to talk about Alf. Remember Alf, guys? He's back in streaming form. (laughs) Is it a gritty reboot? (laughs) But why? 
Apparently it's ads. Evidently, Ryan Reynolds, who's got his own little production shingle called Maximum Effort, made a deal with FUBU, the over-the-top streaming service best known for having a lot of sports channels. And they have their own linear service on FUBU. You can't call it fast because it's not free. FUBU is a paid service. But on FUBU, there is a Maximum Effort channel where you can watch in a linear fashion random shows like reruns of ALF. And now they have, in fact, engaged with ALF, the, uh, shall we call him an alien or a puppet, to run ads on the Maximum Effort channel as well. So he's back, people. He's back. You realize everyone under 30 listening to this is saying, what's an ALF? This he's is- terrible. He eats cats, so we don't like him. <laughs> This is As a matter of fact, Al probably gets canceled in modern society now that you say mm-hmm. that. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing that makes the most sense this week. <laughs> yeah, and I guess we should talk about the thing that probably matters more to modern audiences than Alf. Sorry, Roll. And that is NFL <laughs> Sunday Ticket. And uh, something has happened with NFL Sunday Ticket that is kind of fascinating. We have seen in the past that these cell phone carriers have packaged various streaming services with their bundles. And, you know, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Kim and I get HBO Max. I'm sorry, we get Max for free through our vendor. It's a good add-on. And it is the type of thing that people will think about at least some when they're considering changing providers. Well, we've got a new one now, and it is big time. Verizon is giving the people who subscribe to its Unlimited Plus plan NFL Sunday ticket for free. And you may think, hey, how big a deal is that? Well, that was a big enough deal to keep DirecTV in business for 25 years. No joke. The reason people would sign up for it was because they knew they were going to get NFL Sunday ticket and all the other stuff bordered on superfluous. Uh, That may sound like an exaggeration, but when you would read business articles at the time, All of them would mention, although we don't know what would happen if they ever lost the rights to NFL Sunday Ticket. Verizon adding this is a huge incentive. And I'm genuinely curious if we can see like demonstrable levels of people changing services for it because it is a $450 value. Yeah. YouTube TV, which now has the NFL Sunday Ticket plan, is making moves in order to build up that subscriber base at presumably considerable expense, given that it is $450 per subscriber that they are eating, or is it Verizon that's eating it? They do have a different deal. While they haven't announced the specifics of it, apparently if you subscribe to NFL Sunday Ticket through UTTV, you're going to also get Max in the bundle. That's a deal that YouTube has done with Warner Brothers Discovery. So you could expect that there's going to be a pretty big bump for Max subscribers as well. There's a lot of moving parts going on here, but honestly, a $450 promotion for anyone who's a Verizon Unlimited subscriber seems like a fantastic plan and it's a great way to increase awareness of YouTube TV and its streaming offerings. This is, I think, a pretty smart move on Google and YouTube's part. Okay, Tim, let's maybe talk a little bit about box office from last week and this week. Oh, I suppose. I guess I should have seen last weekend Barbie being a little bit front-loaded on the opening weekend because we were gushing about the $70 million Friday. And that actually turned into actually a better than originally estimated $162 million, which is absolutely fantastic. And then it just absolutely crushed it the entire week. 
like over $20 million every single weekday. Uh, another $29 million on this Friday. It's going to be at $300 million as we're recording this on Saturday. That's absurd. And I feel stupid for missing this twice because this is Super Mario Brothers all over again. This is a world famous name brand that has not had a proper official movie before. Let's we'll ignore that whole Super Mario Brothers thing in the 90s that finally got made and was marketed out the wazoo and it helps that it's good. And this is the result. This is headed. This could make $500 million domestically. It's going to be the number two film of the year sooner rather than later. It has to pass Spider-Man Across the Universe, which is currently at 377.8. As I say this, it'll be a little bit more after mm-hmm. the weekend. But so basically by the time it reaches 380, 385 million, it's number two with a bullet. It is probably not going to reach the 574 million of Super Mario Brothers movie, but based on the weekdays, I can't rule it out right now because right. the weekdays, we knew Barbenheimer was going to be a thing on the weekend. It's mm-hmm. what has happened Monday through Thursday that if you know anything about box office, your mind is blown right now. Yeah, this usually isn't supposed to happen. And the high tide has also risen to affect Oppenheimer, too, because that made over $10 million every single weekday, which is also kind of absurd considering the weekend was 82 million. And that's now at 141 million with a 13.4 million Friday. And and that's also headed that's headed to, to 200 million, maybe maybe 250. It's going to be at 175 by Monday, mm-hmm. uh, give or take, just a small fractional about. And then, you know, after that, it's probably going to be 200 million by the time next weekend rolls around, which means this is, in all probability, at least a $300 million film. And given the subject matter, that is just an absolutely stunning achievement. And right? it just reinforces the fact people really do view two films that have absolutely nothing in common <laughs> as a match set and you start wondering how far are they going to carry this i mean are streamers going to have to get together and negotiate rights so that they can be like you know released as a pair down the road seriously right barbie's warner brothers oppenheimer's universal yes yeah, so you just wonder where these are going to show up on on streaming and you you have to wonder if like right can can someone just be like uh, can we get both and just mark it that we have we have Barbenheimer? Oh, <laughs> uh, this is just this is one of the best things in box office since honestly since COVID. The funny thing for us, and it's kind of funny in a sad, bittersweet, melancholy way. We had a movie theater close in town the week before this happened. Two of the theaters I've been going to the longest both closed in the last month because that's how grim it is right now. You've got (laughs) Cineworld basically just gave up the ghost with some of its regal content. I mean, it's as simple as that. Some of its ownership interests, it just left them to die. And now... AMC theaters is basically realizing they don't have enough cash flow to get them until 2025. They figured out where the runway is and it's terrifying for them. And as that's happening, these two films are on the horizon. And if they could have just made it another couple of weeks, if they've been willing to do it, these films would have made more money. There have been a lot of theatrical closures in June and July, and those have at least somewhat deflated the box office in this. That is not hyperbolic when I'm saying it. Obviously we're talking about, you know, between them, They've got almost exactly 8,000 screens. So, you know, it's not for lack of opportunity, but there was more left on the table if the industry weren't facing an extinction level event. Oh, that's that's wild to me that even this year, movie theaters that were open, what, a couple months ago just went away in the last month? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we have we have no AMC 
theaters left in Knoxville. There's one in a little bitty town outside of Knoxville, but it's a okay. all for well, us. If you were listening to podcasts a few years ago, we would have mentioned this lovely experience we had with my brother's family where Kim and I and them bought out the theater, which was possible during the pandemic. I think it was $99 for us and $99 for them. And we watched James Bond that way, the latest James Bond film. And it was wonderful, wasn't it, Kim? And it's really sad theaters like that are gone because of the memories. Yeah, it was that was a really wonderful experience. And honestly, I always liked that particular theater staff, too. They were really a bunch of nice, kind people who clearly enjoyed working there. And those are the pandemic casualties where the bodies are just now dying. Wow, that, yeah, that blows our mind because, yeah, locally there was a theater that had closed, I think, in actually 20. 19 and then reopened under new management and then COVID happened and that killed them and that's been abandoned since then. There is one big AMC at the big huge shopping mall uh, and then a couple smaller, I guess, independent theaters and that's actually closer to home, which is where I saw Mission Impossible this this past week rather than the fancy AMC, but that's, that's what my parents wanted and that was okay. It was it was fun. But yeah, it's, it's it blows my mind that that's still happening even after, you know, yeah, we were talking about how box office is now not great, but the fact that it's still it's bad enough that it's shutting movie theaters in 2023 is absolutely wild to me. And that's the thing, because of the things we've discussed in earlier podcasts this year, because of the fact that we've had a few blockbuster hits, but everything else has died screaming, you can't survive with just a handful of hits. You need a consistent middle and bottom tier to attract mm-hmm. people, and we're not getting that. And that's going to bring us to the next conversation, which is, Tim, Haunted Mansion didn't get there, did it? No, that's what I was about to say was that's that's our opening of this weekend. So it had to follow the Barbenheimer uh, acts, but nine point nine million on Friday. Um, not great. Not great at all. What are we looking at? 23, 25 20, million. Yeah, I'd, I'd go twenty five. OK. And so this is going to be Disney's second real disaster of the summer. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is the other one. Mm. We since know that Little Mermaid and Elemental rewrote their fates. Yes. They actually have wound up where Little Mermaid is actually slightly profitable. And Elemental is probably somewhere in that gray area between not a hit, not a failure, kind of, you know, it's going to be like 50-50 whether it exits theaters in the black. Mm. but solid enough this this is just a disaster isn't it yeah ooh, 150 million dollar budget and i don't recall seeing like a single thing about this and i forgot it had opened this weekend until like maybe a couple hours ago when i checked like out the the friday what the friday num- numbers were and i'm like oh man they just yeah this 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 is what we're talking about this is the type of things things that need to do better outside of the blockbusters and that's what's really hurting theaters and it's hysterical to me that you're saying that because as a lot of our readers know i am a disney content creator and the joke with disney insiders is disney has marketed this film so much that we actually knew some of the scenes before like we watch the movie because there have been so many 30 second clips Disney has posted on YouTube because they believed in the film. They wanted to promote it as much as they could. There just wasn't the interest in it. And Kim, 
I just spent a lot of money on a the bride doll from Haunted Mansion for you. You are one of the biggest fans of this attraction in the world. This wasn't the home run you wanted to be, was it? Yeah, I'll talk about it more when we get to uh, what kept us busy this week. But yeah, it's not as good as I was hoping, though it certainly has a lot of good to it. It's just not what I was hoping for. It's a single, maybe a double when it needed to be a home run, which means that I don't think the legs are going to be there. And I'm going to reiterate what I've been saying all along. While all films can be released at any time of the year and succeed if they're good enough, I don't understand why this wasn't an October release. I do not understand. And the fact that they released it this particular weekend just seems like death by a thousand cuts. You sabotage this film, putting it in the wake of Barbieheimer. And Tim, I'm going to take you back a long time. Do you remember when the Blair Witch Project came out and it suddenly was so successful it devoured all those screens and a film punted like the week of its release? It actually switched release dates for two months because it knew it couldn't compete. Disney should have done that. Don't remember the movie you're talking about, and yeah, I'm gonna kick myself if you tell me what it is. It was Mystery Men. Oh God. Okay. I remember being so hyped for that too. <laughs> oh yeah. Same. I definitely saw that in theaters as well. Yep. I was one of the few who saw it in the theater as well. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they needed to push this out, especially with what's been happening in terms of release dates is because of the strikes, the studios are starting to push out movies that were slated for later this year to next year because they want to stretch out their content because it could be prolonged. So yeah, you put a movie called Haunted Mansion out in freaking October. Can we talk about Mission Impossible again? I mean, I'll tie this into what what I did. I sent that last week because we had made the plans that I was going to a movie theater for the first time since since the pandemic. And I enjoyed it a lot. Maybe not to the level of the previous two. I assume they're setting up a lot for part two next year. But the set pieces are just absolutely just so clever. So, so well shot. They really are. And it just blows my mind that this franchise is not a box office juggernaut to the level that we think it should be. Death Reckoning Part 1 is going to come in with like $150 million. I have been screaming this since Mission Impossible 3 came out, and I begged people. I would write about this in Box Office Profits regularly. You have got to see this film. Philip Seymour Hoffman is one of the best cinematic villains ever. 3 came out when we had canceled Tom Cruise before we knew what canceling was. So that that I definitely believe had it had an impact on its box office. But yeah, you have sung that movie's praises for since it came out. Exactly. And no matter what we said, people hated Tom Cruise so much that they just weren't ever going to give it a chance. When at the time we were just starting to track like DVD sales and DVD rentals and all these other things that there never were like really tight metrics for, kind of like what we're watching right now with ratings. But we knew from that that Mission Impossible 3 was being discovered on secondary markets and Mm -hmm. it kind of gradually built to the release of Ghost Protocol which stunned during its holiday release. It really did because everybody was like, whoa, where did this come from? Mm -hmm. Two and three weren't that popular. It was because three was so good. Four's quality led to five's box office. It kept going. And you and I spoke on this, I think, three or four weeks ago on the podcast where I said the problem this one's going to face is it has to be on the level of those. That is an impossible ask. Right. An impossible ask. And that's kind of what you're describing, isn't it? A little bit, yeah. I mean, it's not not a bad movie by any means. I I had initially seen... Oh, yeah, I had initially seen some suggestions that like, oh, this one, uh, this one might, might, might be in trouble. And I just like, okay, well, it's okay. It's an A instead of, you know, an, an A plus, you know, or it's an A minus instead of an A, you know, but yeah, just, just the fact that how, how this is doing. And also this is the next Tom Cruise movie after Top Gun Maverick. You would think like Tom Cruise would be 
back in everyone's good graces and they'd see the next thing that that he put out after a movie that made almost 1.5 billion dollars worldwide and nope tom cruise nearly died for this and all yes. he's getting is 150 million in domestic box office right good thing they already filmed part two because <laughs> they would be dialing back the budget by a dramatic amount if that hadn't already happened Exactly. And that's when we talk about how box office is struggling, I realize it's arcane and you have to really, really understand what's happening to get the specifics of it. But this is the best example possible. When you look at all the aspects of this film, there is zero reason why it's not a blockbuster and it's not. That's the one that keeps you up at night and haunts you for years after the fact, much like Mission Impossible 3. We all wrote off Tom Cruise because he was a little crazy in that in that era. And then it almost felt like it killed the franchise, but then they successfully rebooted it with Ghost Protocol and the quality of the last decades went off the charts. And yeah, we're just repeating ourselves now, but it is one of the most mind boggling things in terms of a box office, even though it's not quite the same anymore since 2018's fallout. But we've had absolute blockbusters, but Mission Impossible is like a mid-tier franchise and that just does not make sense. Now that we have talked about the very many things happening at the box office. Let's talk about the very many things happening in the streaming ratings. Yes, we have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, June 26th to Sunday, July 2nd, 2023. And I predicted The Bear would be the top show last week, but I was not around for the What's New episode where the shows that would hit the ratings this week. So I missed that The Witcher would be the top show. Uh, 1.3 billion minutes for 21 episodes. Is this the old Witcher or the new Witcher? This is still Henry Cavill. This is the old, this is the old, the old, old Witcher. Witcher. This is the yes. end of, of yes. the old Witcher, right? Yes. The first five episodes of the third season uh, arrived on June 29th. And uh, everyone not... said goodbye, Witcher. Well, actually, there'll be three more at the end of July because, you know, we have to break up our popular shows now to get two months of subscriptions instead of just one. Okay. We could probably just enter a podcast right there because Tim has just explained how insane all of this is. <clears throat> <laughs> There will be a fourth season, which, of course, Liam Hemsworth will take over the role of Geralt. I'm now curious to see whether it affects the the, the ratings. because It's like, oh, he's they suddenly changed the main character with a different actor. And just to be clear, folks, that is Hunger Games Hemsworth, not Thor Hemsworth. OK, right. Yeah. So this will hang on for most of July's ratings and then shoot back up to the top with those last three episodes. I'm not surprised that that will definitely happen. Uh, the Bear is in second. And I also predicted it would be the top show. And I thought it would do much better in week two, but one billion minutes. But I guess that's just because it's Hulu and not Netflix. If this was a Netflix show, this would be annihilating everything, I would imagine. This is only the second Hulu series ever to get more than a billion minutes watched. So I think you're actually underselling this a little bit. Now, admittedly, we are super fans of the program, which means I'm insanely biased here. I acknowledge that going in, but this is now in Handmaid's Tale territory. And for Hulu, that's what you're looking for. And it kind of creates that level of intrigue where we do have only Murders in the Building Season 3 coming with Meryl Streep and Paul Rudd in it. Will it match these levels as well? Or have people just decided that the bear is the thing on Hulu now? And obviously, that's a great number for Hulu. I just expected more based on what it premiered with last week, because this was that was only a partial week number. This is the full week. Yeah, obviously, I'm I'm not saying it's it's bad. I was just I predicted predicted more, but you could make the case now that this may be their flagship show ahead of Hammy's Tale and Only Murders in the Building. I think we will find that out in a month when we get the Only Murders in the Building stuff mm-hmm. and we start looking at those numbers. But just in terms of the stars that the Bear and Only Murders in the Building have gotten for their 2023 seasons, it is astounding. I mean, it really is just, I cannot believe that we're seeing the people we're seeing. I still don't want to spoil the people who are in the bear, 
but it, there's a wow factor to it. I'm just going to have to watch this at some point, aren't I? Okay. All right. It's your Ted Lasso. <laughs> Third Black Mirror has been here for a few weeks now. 853 million minutes, 27 episodes. Returning in fourth from Prime Video, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. 778 million minutes, 26 total episodes. Now, here's what's interesting is the previous three seasons were released all at once, eight episodes each. And for the final season, they've divided it into three weeks, two episodes a week, two on June 30th, two more July 7th, and the final two episodes, July 14th. So this just added two new episodes and shot right back up into the fourth with 778 million minutes. So do we see this number holding or increasing as over the next two weeks? Since this is kind of a release pattern we haven't seen before, I honestly have no idea. I mean, what's your instinct here? I almost feel like it will it will hold and then maybe take a slight jump with the final two episodes because there's always that binge bump that the shows that release weekly get. So yeah, I could see you know a slightly lower number next week and then shooting back up to maybe eight nine hundred with with the finale. But yeah, this is the final season for one of Prime's most popular shows. But they are spinning it off, of course, with Michael Pena's character. Fifth Manifest, that's been here a little bit, 495 million minutes. Uh, and six, now with two episodes, Secret Invasion from Disney Plus, 464 million minutes. David, does this show take a turn for the ridiculous or bad towards the end? Like, I, I've seen a lot of uproar, I think, mainly from you. <laughs> mainly from me. Yeah. I tell you what, I, I, Kim, how would you describe it? It goes off the rails in the last two episodes. Ooh, I, okay. I don't know how else to say it. It is poorly, poorly written. Wow. Okay. Yeah. There was stuff happening behind the scenes at Marvel at the time, and you can just tell. Look, I know how hard it is to create these things, and that always kind of makes me hold my tongue for the most part on things that don't quite get there. This is an example. You can tell just from the editing, it's a hatchet job. There are characters who like appear, and that's their only scene in the entire series, and you know that there was a bigger role there, and just for whatever reason, they didn't do any of it. It was readily apparent to me that things did not go well during this shoot and they just said let's do the best we can with the filming we have rather than try and save it and that's noteworthy because sony just made the opposite decision with one of its products craven the hunter has been delayed a year next year yeah the buzz on it is jiggly level. It is as bad as Hollywood has, and they're going to try and save it. With Secret Invasion, they just said, you know what? We need content. We're going to go ahead and release this. And now they're saying behind the scenes, Captain America 4, which was supposed to be one of the two direct sequels to this, is just going to ignore the stuff in Secret Invasion that's stupid. They're just going <laughs> to pretend like it didn't happen. You don't do that in something that you consider canon unless you know it's terrible. <laughs> oh boy okay i considered talking about secret invasion this week and ultimately the only thing i can say about it was that it was very meh the climax came and went and then you realize wait that was the climax it just didn't really seem to go anywhere it seems so bland and at the end when you don't even get an end credit scene where you hope that maybe it's gonna 
like this story mm-hmm. all ties together and it's supposed to mean something. I definitely get the impression that this is all a lead up to the Thunderbolts, the U.S. superhero team that's made up of uh, questionable heroes. But in the end, there's no mention of that. Given the cast that it had, so many of the actors from actual Marvel cinematic movies, and they did nothing with any of that. It, it just didn't really seem to go anywhere. Yeah. The other thing I'll throw in here is that a lot of people had already guessed who the scrolls were ahead of time, and that didn't do the show any favors. Marvel is starting to have a growing issue where people are almost too knowledgeable of the product. And if they don't account for that, they have to be thinking along with the audience and keep them guessing. We didn't have that here. And on top of everything else, look, I'll just go ahead and say it. I generally don't ever show my own work. If you go to marvelblog.com, I have recapped episode six. It is as hostile as I ever am to anything because (laughs) the... Plot holes in this, as I said in the article, are so big, they're like the size of Jupiter. You just have to completely turn your brain off. And I am not the only one who feels this way, Tim. You're saying, you know, mainly you're hearing it's bad for me. The final episode of Secret Invasion is currently the lowest ranked show on Rotten Tomatoes of any Disney Plus episode ever. It's like 11%, which means eight out of every nine people who watches that episode hates it. Yeah, I say mainly from you because I'm wondering if people who started it just gave up on it, even though it was- six episodes. That's what I was going to say before we had this little sidebar is I'm genuinely curious to see what happens with this show. How many people stick with it? Because I don't think you could tell three or four episodes in there was no hope. But Mm -hmm. in episode five, I knew that they had failed. And then with episode six, Kim and I are just looking at each other like they should have hired us. We would have done 10 times better. And I don't like saying that. I know it's hard to do these things. That's generally a glib assessment, but there was quitting in this series. It's a simple is that yeah it started out with when it made the chart with one episode i was like wow that that's good and then there's two and it's almost like the number is essentially cut in half so now it's very interesting what's going to happen over the next couple weeks over the as it adds the last four whether people if it's still pulling 400 million minutes and it's all six episodes that's a yikes because that means people just gave the hell up on on this show after what seemed like a super promising premise and you know an, an mcu proper series that ties in directly ties into a movie all right we'll We'll move on because we have a lot more to talk about Secret Invasion over the next couple weeks. Uh, but new and seventh from Netflix, Glamorous. 10 episodes, 414 million minutes. This is a comedy drama starring Kim Cattrall and someone called Miss Benny that actually premiered on June 22nd. So this is a full week number. We did not see this last week, but here it is with the full week. And obviously it, it was June, it's Pride Month. Miss Benny is actually a transgender woman in a lead role in a Netflix series. So that's definitely interesting and haven't heard much about it, but I'm, I'm very pleasantly surprised you see it here we talked about this in the uh what's coming soon Mm -hmm. uh and uh, one of the things we said was it looked forcibly like Ugly Betty in a good way. It was a charming little trailer. I'm not surprised there's interest in it. Okay. I was away for the week when the new shows hit. So yeah, I was blind to the fact that we were going to get The Witcher and, and uh, a couple uh, other things. Well, except for one thing I knew definitely would be here. Uh, but it is not Muscles and Mayhem, an unauthorized story of American Gladiators. That's an eighth, 404 million minutes for the five episode docuseries about the American Gladiators show. Sure, why not? Netflix can make a documentary on anything and it's gonna <laughs> show up on these ratings at least it's not yes. killers like the show in ninth catching killers <laughs> which we saw before 394 million minutes 11 episodes but in 10th is it cake 2 381 million minutes so yes this is season two of is it cake 
But because they gave it a different name, Is It Cake 2, Nielsen has considered it its own show. So this does not count any viewership, apparently, for the first season. This is just the second. It's only listed as having eight episodes. Oh, now that's really interesting. Yes. Even though if you just look up, I haven't checked Netflix, but, you know, you just go to Wikipedia's page for Is It Cake. It has, you know, season one and then season two, which is just subtitled Is It Cake 2. But yeah, I don't know why Nielsen is only counting the, the second season. I also would wager to say that this show was very much a flash in the pan. It was, you know, silly and absurd in its first season. And everyone was talking about, oh, have you seen this show mm-hmm. where they bake things that look like other things? <laughs> and uh, and now by season two, it's it's over. We've had that. And uh, its debut on the charts so low suggests to me that the fad has uh, the fad has passed well i'll expect it to jump next week because is this is just a three-day figure that just did premiere on the 30th so it's not like it's the whole week it's just three so i i expect to see it next week and they did switch up the format a little bit uh in terms of just like a round robin type thing they apparently have there's more of an illumination between the the various bakers so i have not watched it yet but i do plan to uh just because you know mikey day is very charming as host and just like the fact that they're able to just make these cakes look like objects is, is still like fascinating to me but yeah, I do get what you're saying. Maybe it won't peak as high as the original did, but I'm not surprised to see it here. It costs $7 to film. Yeah, it's exactly. full of fun. <laughs> yeah. How, I mean, how much can Fondant really cost? Yeah. All right. Over in movies, which is an extremely sad list this week, it is still led by Attraction 2, 443 million minutes. So that's never a good sign. Oh, yeah. That's starting off low. Yeah. It doesn't get much better. And yeah, that's been around for a few weeks. So yeah, we're kicking off with that number. Uh, Avatar, The Way of Water is still in second, 364 million minutes. That's been here for a few weeks now as well. Credited to Disney Plus and Max, by the way. Just looking at this, what blows me away is Extraction 2 at 443 million minutes would have made ninth on Acquired. Yep. (laughs) So just to be clear, people are watching eight content catalog programs more than they're thinking, ooh, let's watch a movie. Mm -hmm. And that's why theaters are screwed right there. Yes. It is comfort food rather than something new and interesting. New from Netflix in third, Run Rabbit Run, 333 million minutes. I went and checked. We we did mention it for what's what's new that week. It appears to be an Australian horror film. Yeah. And it features one of the main players from Succession as well. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah, it's not a great number for, for a debut, but it's such a soft week that good enough for third. Uh, the other key that it's a terrible week is the evergreen Disney Plus content. Moana is in fourth with 253 million minutes. Uh, and Encanto is sixth, 191 million minutes. Uh, in the middle is The Perfect Fine. That was here last week, 239 million minutes. That's from Netflix. The most interesting thing on the movies this week is The Return of Megan in seventh, 184 million minutes. This is on Prime Video. When we saw it previously... It was on Peacock. It is no longer on Peacock. Folks, this seems like a good time to remind you of the Peacock discussion we had earlier in the podcast. What the hell? (laughs) I've resigned myself to the reality that nothing makes sense. Yeah, pretty much. Part of the, the universal agreement where, well, we're going to put our movies on Peacock for you know a couple months and then they're going to go somewhere else so we can get more money from them and more people will watch it than they watch it on Peacock, especially if it's on Netflix. But in this case, it's Prime Video. But we're just waiting for that a couple more months for Cocaine Bear to hit Netflix and just blow everything away. Yep, it'll be huge. We wrap up movies with things that we have seen previously. Take Care of Maya was new last week, 182 million minutes. The Boss Baby, 181 million minutes. And The Mule, 153 million minutes. So yes, that's a pathetic week for movies. Only one film on movies would have actually made the top 10 of the acquired list. And now having said that, Tim, I'm going to go on break for five minutes. Bye. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, and and if you look at Nielsen's overall list of the top 10, none of them are movies. Uh, yeah, Acquired is led by the show that we saw for the first time last week, and that would be Suits. But this week it comes in with 3.1 billion minutes viewed for 136 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I, what the, the end. hell? What, yeah, what the hell? It's the new uh, Criminal Minds on Netflix. Apparently, yeah. Never underestimate the appeal of Meghan Markle. Yeah, I, I almost expected this number to bring the Harry and Meghan documentary back to the originals list just because people wanted more Meghan Markle, apparently. I have no idea. This is yeah, absurd, this, but yeah. It's the most ever for an acquired show, by the way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. congratulations, Sue Peacock, for <laughs> hitting a record with a little help from Netflix. Netflix. Yes, with this nice little asterisk there, with Peacock. But yes, yes it, it's technically true. Oh, uh, boy. Yeah. Uh, SWAT is second, 891 million minutes. It's nine shows we've seen before. The one new show in ninth, Bunked, 436 million minutes for 139 episodes. Uh, this is on Netflix, but what's weird about this? Anyone? It's a Disney show. <laughs> yeah, it is. What is it doing here? Uh, apparently, the sixth season of the show, the most recent season, just came to Netflix. So I guess it's been there the whole time on June 20th. So after a whole week of viewership, that was enough to, to get it here. But I'm just like, oh, it's a licensing nightmare. Once I saw, well, like, what the hell is bunked? And then I saw the Disney Plus show. I said, what the hell is it doing on Netflix? <sighs> I did check and it is not, of course, it is not on Disney Plus, no. but the show that preceded it, because Bunked is a spinoff, the show that preceded it is Jesse. Mm -hmm. So if you do want to get the entire Jesse narrative, you have to watch all four seasons of Jesse on Disney Plus and then jump to <laughs> Netflix for Bunked. Why are we splitting up the Disney television show expanded cinematic universe. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, I, I I I give up. I just I don't understand it. It's not even like it's produced by someone else and it's on here. It's just it's I don't know. Does it not fit Disney Plus? I don't understand. But it's a Disney show. Yeah. So that's that's the, that's the ratings this week. Yeah, suits three billion minutes. What the heck? I'm curious to see what happens with full week for The Witcher. Jack Ryan will add episode. Secret Invasion will add an episode, even though it's bad. Save us movies, please. Some Something, something crack 500 million minutes that's from you know 2023 but yeah that's that, that's all i have this week for the ratings this speaks ultimately to the failure of peacock here because evidently there is demand for suits you cannot write this off plainly with netflix saying we're gonna put suits on the number one tile every time you run you open netflix right there's gonna right. be some benefit to that absolutely but even without that there was people watching suits regardless on netflix there was demand why was that demand not carrying over onto peacock this really begs the question is Peacock's strategy making sense when you realize that they have other shows that they have uh, selfishly held back like The Office, mm -hmm. which we know was a massive hit on Netflix. I would expect that NBCU executives thought, oh, those viewers would carry over on to Peacock if we just kept The Office exclusively on Peacock. Mm -hmm. But that is not happening here. No, and we have never seen it since it left Netflix. It, no, well, not once. First of all, I don't think people realize that Peacock has or had suits or has The Office, but I'm not even sure how much people know that Peacock is a streaming service exists. at this point. Yeah. yeah. At yeah. this point, really, it calls into question the viability of Peacock as a streaming service, at least. Mm -hmm. 
for NBCU's catalog content. Mm-hmm. They they need to re-examine that and question whether maybe they just need to be licensing out that stuff. Original shows, we've seen it. We've seen that with like Poker Face. Mm-hmm. Those shows mm-hmm. are making the charts as original programming. But once those shows complete their run, maybe they need to be licensing those out to Netflix as well. Yeah. And just wait till, you know, that new season of Girls Five Ever comes out, which is on Netflix. And that's going to show up on the ratings, even though it was, you know, on Peacock and never saw it there. Oh, I don't even know how Nielsen is going to chart that one. Is it going to be a quiet <laughs> show, an original show? No, oh it'll, my be God. A, it'll be original, but yeah, it's because it's new episodes. But yeah, I, I'm still predicting that to happen when, when that new season of that show arrives. But yeah, it's, it is a, definitely a marketing thing because it doesn't just apply to Peacock too. I mean, you can argue that, you know, Paramount Plus, which actually has kind of done it in their, in some of their, their commercials, they said, Hey, look, we have all this, you know, it's not original content, but we, we have all this, these shows that you've heard of and they're on Paramount Plus. So that's why you should subscribe. You know, the, um, uh, the commercials with the, the Key and Peele teacher character and, and talking to the uh, cartoon characters. Yeah. Paramount's had a pretty good marketing campaign with, yep. with, with that Paramount, Paramount Mount, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. But even then, I, yes, I, I expect there's probably more awareness in the in the community out there that there is a Paramount Plus more than people are and aware of the fact peacock. that there is a Peacock. The irony being that the best Paramount show, Yellowstone, is on Peacock, on peacock and, yeah. and people are just not gravitating to Peacock to watch it. I it, think the irony there is that NBC Universal skews much younger because of its demographic for its Bravo Liberty shows, whereas mm. Paramount Plus skews super old. So how is it old people know that one is a streaming service and young people don't know the other one is? It's like when they made the most recent Psych movie that was a couple years ago, there's a joke that a woman's in a show on Peacock and Sean and Gus have like, what, what, what's that? <laughs> as you're, as you're watching this movie on Peacock, but yeah, exactly. That's unfortunately, that's very, very true. In our green lights and cancellations this week, even with writers and actors on strike, Warner Brothers Discovery has decided to renew their HBO show, The Righteous Gemstones, for a fourth season. It's all they have, people. David Zasloff must not know this show exists then if it got a fourth season. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It has been climbing in the ratings. The third season has been its highest rated uh, season yet. So there's some success there. This is the Danny McBride, let's call it, parody of megachurch evangelicals. It's a dramedy. It's hard to explain. Yeah. All right. Good for them. As to when a fourth season will actually go into production when you have no writers and no actors, it's anybody's guess. Hard to explain is also how I described Danny McBride's entire career. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. As always, we close out the show with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And after a long period of not having a lot to watch, we've watched a lot. So I'm just going to say way too many things have been keeping me busy this week. But as mentioned before, we did catch Haunted Mansion, which is my favorite Disney World attraction by a lot. I have quite a collection of Haunted Mansion merchandise. In the movie, I would say Lakeith Stanfield, he is a revelation. I'm just in awe of him and how terrific he is and wish that the movie had been written a little bit better for him. Owen Wilson is also terrific, as is Danny DeVito, and Tiffany Haddish is funny but underused. It's really fun to spot all the little nuggets, the different ghosts and architecture of the house throughout the film, but it's definitely, as I said, not as good as I hoped it would be. I did still have a lot of fun with it, but I really can't imagine that anyone unfamiliar with the Disney attractions would enjoy it quite the same way. Raul, how about you? 
So as I mentioned earlier in the ratings, I thought about talking about Secret Invasion in uh, what's kept me busy this week. I watched it with uh, one of my kids all the way through. It Ultimately, it felt very blah. So instead, I'm going to tell you about episode seven of the second season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which we should all be talking about. Yes. Last week's episode was the much-anticipated crossover with the animated Star Trek series Lower Decks. Actors Jake Quaid and Tawny Newsom, who voice the characters of Boimler and Mariner in the animated series, meet the crew of the Enterprise as a result of a time travel mishap. And the rest is just utterly delightful. It does start animated with the Lower Decks crew, but once they come into the Strange New Worlds universe, we do get to see the live-action actors. He's only about six foot one, but Jake Quaid is a giant compared to pretty much the rest of the cast of either of these shows. And it's just funny to see him standing next to everybody else. The whole episode is actually intentionally written as a comedy, and it's just so much fun to see characters like Boimler and Mariner just geeking out at these heroes from their Star Trek past. There is nothing bad about this episode. The whole thing is a delight. Paramount Plus actually dropped the episode early to coincide with the San Diego Comic-Con that was happening at the time. It premiered over last weekend, so anyone who was expecting to wait until Wednesday, which is the usual premiere date, got a little extra preview, and that was fantastic. We were all so delighted to get that episode early. It is one of the best Star Trek episodes ever. I don't think anyone's going to dispute that. It is just a delight. So much fun. You can catch all episodes of both Lower Deck and Star Trek Stranger Worlds on on Paramount Plus. I recommend both those shows. Also, stay away from Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> yes, that episode was just an absolute delight. Down to both Jack Quaid and Tawny Newsome doing the little quirks and things of their animated characters, even in live action, like the Boimler scream. I loved it too. David, how about you? Yeah, since Tim already talked about Mission Impossible, he's going to let that stand. So I will combine both of your things. I will agree with Kim that Lakeith Stanfield is just spectacular in Haunted Mansion. This is every bit as good a performance as Johnny Depp offered in the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, Curse of the Black Pearl. Stanfield is spectacular here, and I love everything about it. The rest of the cast just wasn't developed enough. It was kind of a strange film in that it was almost too insider, and I say that as someone who has legitimately ridden Haunted Mansion more than 100 times because my wife makes me. She is eight years old forever when she is standing by the building for Haunted Mansion. No joke. So we were the target audience for this film and we wanted to love it more than we did. And you have to realize, I'm not joking when I say we have an entire bookshelf full of Haunted Mansion memorabilia. We're those people. And this film still wasn't what we wanted it to be because it just It wasn't quite right storyline-wise. It just didn't get there, and that's frustrating. Raul is absolutely right. Uh, We have already watched Star Trek Strange New Worlds, the crossover episode, several times. Kim mentioned Boimler's scurrying. He also sneaks in for just a fraction of a second. The ridiculous Boimler walk, which had me just in stitches. They have so much fun with everything they're doing, and the regular cast knows that this is a special opportunity, and they stand up. There is a joke about their comm signal 
calls and how they prefer their flip ones to the ones that are just tap and go now. And that is done with physical comedy later in a really subtle way. All kinds of touches like that. It is just a lovely tribute to fans of both shows. And we liked it so much that Kim said, let's go back and start watching Strange New Worlds. We've already watched four or five episodes of season two. We haven't done season one yet. We'll go back in it. But uh, that's how much we enjoyed it. And then I'll also throw in, we have watched the first three episodes of Harley Quinn's latest season. And Kim, (laughs) you're never going to Vegas now, are you? (laughs) I mean, I wasn't really that inclined to go to Vegas in the first place. But yeah, I definitely have no interest in Vegas after that. Folks, in episode three, King Shark makes a stew and uh, oh no. Oh, no, no, no. This show is just pure joy. They know exactly what they want to do with every character. And then they'll occasionally introduce a new character. And that one will be brilliant as well this year. It is Talia Al Ghul. And she's just amazing. And she's only really been in it for one episode. And I'm always already head over heels in love with what they've done with the character. The same was true with the rhyming demon and the Valentine's Day episode. They just don't miss. If you're not watching Harley Quinn, you're cheating yourself. That is the truth. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingvoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at patreon.com slash streamingvoid. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 